Hey everyone, welcome to Sick in the City. We're Amanda and Mel, two sick chicks spilling the tea on chronic illness. We have a really great episode for you guys today. We are going to get pretty deep. We're going to talk about chronic illness and mental health, dealing with anxiety and depression. We're going to cover some topics that are going on in the world today, especially with Texas. We are going to have an expert on that we're really, really excited about for you guys who, um, her name is Beth Renoff. She is an expert in dealing with mental illness. She is a licensed um, social worker and she specializes in people coping with anxiety and depression with chronic illness. So really excited to jump in and get started. So, hey Mel, let's dive right in. Whoa. So yeah, it's been a really intense couple of weeks. Um, My (laughs) brother's girlfriend actually said something about how she's had emotional turbulence recently. And I'm like, that's I think everyone really, has, that's a really good way of phrasing yeah. it because like, I mean, I know things were kind of crazy for both of us before this past week, but then suddenly everyone I know and love back home in Texas is dealing with this national crisis emergency. Yeah. It has been really hard for me to be so far away from. Um, and I feel like I've been in constant communication with my parents and little sister and like my grandma and my aunts and uncles and cousins are all there and it's been wild. And I I don't know if I've just been keeping up really intensely because I know so many people there, but like, it's been kind of overwhelming and I've been trying to like figure out how I can help. Um, because the problem right now is that there was a period of time where a bunch of people just didn't have power. They were going through rolling power outages throughout the city just to be able to like make sure they, the whole power grid doesn't crash. And Dallas news actually announced that they were minutes within losing power for months, potentially. Wow. I don't know if you saw that. No, I didn't. And I feel like it's so crazy because this is obviously going on and we're talking about emotional turbulence, like you said, and Right now, I don't know if it's because Mercury is in retrograde. I feel like Mercury is always in retrograde, but it's Mm -hmm. like this really intense, heavy situation happening on top of a really heavy time in the world in general. And then also everybody's emotions are so high. So I know that that's you being in New York is really wearing on you. And and I'm sure the news is probably making you feel like you have some sort of control, but also maybe like overwhelming you, right? It's like this awful mixture of feeling guilty and grateful all at the same time. I'm like, oh my God, like I, just the timing of us moving up here and getting out of that situation while everyone I know and love is just struggling. And I talked to my sister yesterday and it was actually the first time she had like power and heat for a full day and she was able to shower and like get a hot meal. But she just said like for four days, they were in survival mode. Like it was just constant decision-making of like, okay, do we have enough water? Like, do we have enough like to keep us warm? Do we have the right kind of food? Like, like just constant fight or flight intensely like stressed mode. Um, and so the aftermath of like not having power, the problem is like buildings in Texas just aren't insulated for the temperatures that they had. So on Monday, right. it was a zero degree day with wind chills of negative 16, which in my lifetime, I have never experienced. Not even in Indiana when I went to school, it was never that cold. So 
Texas was just not prepared. Like they didn't have salt. They didn't have enough like snow plows to clean the streets. So the highways are still icy and snowy. People can't get anywhere. Um, Everybody like loses power, loses heat. And the pipes aren't even double insulated. So everybody's pipes froze. Wow. And so then with the rolling blackouts, you know, I think my sister like went without power for like 36 hours and then the power comes back on for like three hours and then goes back off again for three hours. So in that time, the pipes start heating up and pipes start bursting. Oh my God. It's it's just insane. I I've never, I've never heard or seen anything like it. I, I was telling you that, you know, about seven years ago, I was in Atlanta when they had a really bad ice storm and people were stuck on the roads and then they had cleared everything out. Like everything in Atlanta had stopped. And I was trapped in a hotel. I was there for work and my, I was there for an event and the event got canceled and I was stuck in my hotel room for 10 days, but we didn't lose power. So like, I can't imagine being in that situation in a city, a state that is not prepared for this kind of weather. And then also not having power, not having like, it's just, I, my heart goes out to them. And so do you have any information on where people can, you know, how they can help, where they can, you know, send um, things or money or whatever? So there are a few places people can reach out to, to donate. If you're so inclined, there's mutual aids all throughout Texas. The one in Dallas is called feed the people Dallas, but there's ones for Houston, San Antonio, Austin, and I can add all of those links into our, our episode notes if people are interested in donating. But the problem right now is that because so many of the pipes were bursting, now people don't have water. So like my sister and her roommate, they filled up their bathtub right before they had to turn the water off because the pipes were bursting just to be able to like fill up a bowl into the toilet to be like use the toilet to go to the bathroom. So now nobody knows when they're going to get water back. So that's why like all these mutual aids are going to be helpful because they're trying to get they, all the shelters now, all the pipes right. of burst and shelters for homeless and like just anyone trying to keep people off the streets. So right now I think donating is important just to be able to kind of rebuild what's been destroyed now. Right. Um, so if you want to check out and help that's, that's a really great way of doing that, but I'm very thankful, you know, all my family was okay. My parents didn't lose power. My sister had her roommate, like my right. aunt was able to make it to my parents. So thank goodness. Hopefully the worst is over um temperatures are heating back up but yeah as for us here in new york i know you and i have kind of been stressed lately because we're both kind of going through a lot of life changes and trying to adapt to what life is trying to tell both of us to do and go and yeah it's been a lot (laughs) for me um Nobody really told me, you know, how expensive it was to start your own business, especially in a new city. Um, so I'm trying to find a little side hustle, um, <laughs> especially and- in New York, one of the most expensive cities to live in. So I think that that's also key. Yeah. And it's been pretty funny, like interviewing via zoom, like with people with like the funny beach backgrounds and it's it's just (laughs) been a whole ordeal. Like I am laughing, but I'm also stressed. And I know that you and I have both been coping with like just watching an abundant amount of television and movies and baking. And I know you have something to announce about your baking life. I do. I do. So I, 
have been stress baking, I would say, and cooking. Um, I've always really loved to cook. Uh, baking is something that I've gotten a little bit more into over the past couple of years, but it has definitely been a huge outlet for me in this time where I can't really go outside, can't really exercise because of my, um, you know, my body just in general is always falling apart. So I um, cook a lot of plant-based recipes and have been getting a little bit more into photography, as you guys know. So I am working on collecting all of my recipes from the past year and also adding some new recipes. And I will be launching a cookbook, yeah. a plant-based cookbook, uh, probably in the spring or summer is my timing for that. And I'm really excited about it. I think it's I, I love reading cookbooks. Like I have a million of them. They're like all behind me. Yes. And so this has been a dream of mine since I was little and I've always wanted to write a book. I don't think I ever knew that it would be a cookbook. I think that that's been the surprise. Yeah. But this is just, it's something that I really enjoy doing with the creative. It's a really great creative outlet for me. So yeah, coming soon, a um, grab a spoon plant-based cookbook. Yeah. And you've been posting so many like little teaser recipes on your Instagram yeah. and stuff. So like everybody just needs to go check that out. Stay tuned. Yeah. So much ice cream. There's so much ice cream on my page. Somebody so said much. to me yesterday, they were like, girl, like you keep making ice cream or something like that. I'm like, yes, I can't stop making ice cream. I got an ice cream maker for our wedding and I love it. It's so much fun. Yeah. Well, at least you can make ice cream. Cause last night I wanted ice cream so bad that I found out that Van Lewins delivers to <gasps> my apartment. It does. So, yeah. Which is dangerous because I ordered like two pints and I, I shouldn't have, but damn, it's so good. What flavors and did you get? I got the vegan honeycomb. It's mm. like cashew based and it was, oh my God, it was so good. <laughs> I was like, I have to put this away now, but it's just been nice to have like Mm, you know, comforts. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Totally. And it's perfect for when you are getting cozy and watching some movies or some shows. I mean, that's definitely, I think the escape for a lot of people right now. So, I mean, I'm all for that for sure. And you and I were able to have a really special moment last weekend together yes, over we a cool movie that we enjoyed, which I'm so glad we got to do because this is something I've, I had never done until the pandemic. And I'm so glad that I started because it's hard being far away from your friends, yeah. especially when fun movies come out, you want to watch together. So Amanda and I hopped on at the same time to watch to all the boys I've loved before. Yes. Always with your sister who is awesome. my sister. Yeah. So we're like all over the country and we FaceTime right before the movie starts and count down and we all watch at the same time and text each other. And I highly recommend just, you know, trying to reach out to people to do that, especially if you have friends that are far away. Um, Cause it's just a fun time and we were able to laugh and that movie just gave me all the happy, warm, fuzzy feelings. Yes. Good right vibes. Yeah. yeah. So and many good vibes. If you haven't watched those movies, I don't know what you're doing with your life because they're so fun. They're so perfect. And we need more movies like that, that are just creative and unique. And I think that I'm gravitating towards a lot of movies and projects lately that just have a ton of heart. Yeah. Like, and that's what those movies have. And Oh, I love yeah, it, it was so, so good. good. And the attention to detail on the design and the colors, like it just is a really, I would say just beautiful, aesthetically pleasing um, movie to watch. And it's so funny because before 
I met you, I was definitely embarrassed to tell people that I watch these movies. I think the only other person that watches them was Howard Stern, who talks about it on his radio <laughs> show all the time. What? And yes, loves them. And and Kissing Booth. So I kind of felt like maybe I'm not alone. I'm not, you know, if Howard does it, then it's fine. Um, <laughs> but now I'm not ashamed. Like it is, it is really good. The books are really good. If you haven't watched the movies, I recommend reading the books first and then watching the movies um because they're also great so it's it's a really great story yeah and I just felt like a little kid again like I felt like a little teenager watching that movie and I think it's so important to find ways to remind yourself of like feeling that young happy like light-hearted feelings and and I think that's kind of going to lead us right into the topics today because we really want to shine a light on mental health, on anxiety and depression through going through chronic illness, because it's something that I know a lot of us just have a hard time talking about because I know, I mean, chronic illness is an invisible illness most of the time. And, and we have an interview actually this episode where we filmed yesterday and Amanda was very sick and you would never know. And I was like, wow, damn, like, that's crazy that you didn't even know, but you're like, she, lying. No, I'm just kidding. But yeah, I, I, I kind of am a, I'll say this. I am definitely a fan of look good, feel good, kind of like a fake it till you make it type of thing. And so sometimes when I'm not feeling good and I was sick, sick, but I was also flaring because it's just the time of the month that I flare. I did my Humira shot on Thursday, but I will sometimes push myself to do my hair, do my makeup and kind of just put on this, like, I feel better type of vibe. Um, You know, sometimes, I mean, I don't have the energy to do that, but when I do, so I think that that also made me feel better too, is that like, I was just presenting myself, like looking, feeling better. Yeah. Yeah. And just finding like ways to normalize talking about the hard stuff, because I know for me, it's been a hard time just finding people to talk to about it that, that understand, because sometimes you can tell people, but they don't get it. And it's really hard to find support the right way we need it. And I really just want to talk about like therapy and everything I have been through. And, and I mean, I, I was in therapy when I was five years old, like, I mean, I started early. Yeah. To me, it was always pretty normal. But I mean, I talk to people my age now that are like, no, I've never done it. Like, and, and so when did you kind of start going to therapy? Like, what was your lead up to that? Yeah. So, so I'll say first, you know, I, I think that there's a stigma around not only mental illness, but also getting help. And I think for a while, I avoided getting help because I just think that there's like this feeling of, you know, I'm crazy. You know, there's just like this whole thing around it that I feel like makes people feel ashamed. And so I started going to therapy around three or four years ago when I first started dealing with chronic pain for my back. I, um, prior to that, I had been an athlete. I was a personal trainer. I was doing martial arts on the regular. I was, um, you know, was lifting weights. I was running. I was actually training for the New York city marathon right before I found out that I had to get back surgery. And I had to stop doing everything entirely. So what was my outlet for stress and anxiety 
I no longer had, like that was taken away from me. So I did not have anywhere to put it. So I would just, I just felt like I was keeping it all inside and kind of just like using, I would say unhealthy coping mechanisms. You know, I was, I was drinking a lot to the point where Rob like said something to me because I was drinking, not going out with girlfriends drinking. I was like drinking alone in the apartment. I was, you know, taking painkillers. I was using a lot of things to numb what I was feeling, how heartbroken I was. Um, so at that point, that's when I started going to therapy. So I was probably in my mid twenties. So definitely a lot later than five, (laughs) but, but what I think is cool about starting at five years old is that you, because you learn so much about yourself and the way to deal with emotions through therapy, like learning that at a young age, I think is really powerful because you probably then learned how to deal with your emotions and your feelings as you got older. So is that, did you go for a long time when you were five? I mean, a couple of years, probably like I had a lot of weird behavioral issues as a kid that I think my parents were just worried about. Um, so, I mean, I just diving into that as a kid, I think she taught me some ways to kind of cope with it. Um, just little activities and like ways for me to communicate to my parents about how I was feeling, which, I mean, I, I don't know if that's something that has helped me with my emotional intelligence in my life, maybe. So that's awesome. But in general, I think it made it that much easier as I was an adult realizing like, I probably need to circle back and, and, and right. go to therapy. And I, uh, the decision was easy for me after about a year of dealing with like doctors who didn't help me, you know, and uh, trying to find a diagnosis and f- sometimes feeling crazy and hypochondriac and like, right. is this all in my head? And yeah. I think the, the turning point for me was when I finally, God, for months, I was trying to get into this specialist, this infectious diseases doctor in Dallas. It was supposed to be like number one. And I had Googled and had decided like, and he would fix everything. Like that was the hope, right? Like you build up this huge expectation. Yeah. Yeah. And it was heartbreaking. And I I told him like, I'm pretty sure I have candida overgrowth, some kind of bacterial overgrowth. And I'd done a lot of research online and I changed my diet and had gotten better. And he laughed at me, like laughed at me. And I was like, what? And he's like, well, I don't, you know, you just, people Google things and it sounds like, I know, I know. They always, no, I, cause I feel that because I I've said that before is like, I've had doctors say to me, do you spend a lot of time on the internet? And I'm like, no, I spent a lot of time educating myself in several classes and courses. And that's why I could speak to you about this, but thank yeah. you for dismissing me. Yeah. Yeah. I felt like <sighs> I felt crazy again. It was yeah. just like reiterating the fact that I was alone in this and yeah. I just felt defeated and yeah. sad. Like, and so that's when I really started trying to do things on my own. And I had decided to make the difficult decision on my own to give up alcohol at 24. And I think that that's really when my anxiety started because I didn't feel like any, I had anything to back up my reasoning and I didn't have an excuse to tell friends about why I couldn't drink or why I couldn't eat things. I was just like, I don't know. This is just what I feel like I have to do to stand my ground on that. And, and I started dealing with a lot of social anxiety and like, didn't want to go out with people because I didn't have an explanation. And yeah, So that's when I really started back with therapy of like trying to figure out how to feel strong in the way that I made decisions. And, but things didn't really start getting easier until I found like a doctor that was able to back me up. Right. Well, I think, I think that there's, there's two kind of situations that you go through and it's, and it's when you're dealing with chronic illness and when you start to take 
things like exercise and alcohol and, and these sort of, you know, coping mechanisms out of the pictures that you kind of start to question, who am I now? Now I'm this person with chronic illness, who am I? And how do I go out and be in a crowd of people? And how, how do I present myself to the world? Because I, maybe I don't want to tell people that this is how I am now, or, you know, you really start to learn and have to do the work to figure out who you really are because the person that you were is gone entirely. And then I think the second piece is that, and we've all been through it with chronic pain and chronic illness is that you, oh, there's this moment of where you're like, this is going to fix me. This is going to be it. And for you, that was this doctor. And for me, it was my surgery, right? Like I was like, okay, I'm, you know, 26 years old. I'm going to get this back surgery. My pain is going to be gone. I will be running again and I will be great. And then for me, when a few months after my surgery, I had recovered and then the pain started again, I was devastated just like you were because you don't know where to go from there. You're like, okay, so now what? This mm-hmm. this thing that was supposed to fix everything, this doctor, this surgeon didn't. And now what am I left with? You know, now I'm just left sick. I'm just left in pain. Yeah. And that just wears so hard on the emotions and your mental health. I mean- that, that point for me was so low because I then went back to the doctor, like you, like went to the doctor and was like, maybe I have fibromyalgia. Maybe I have this. Why does my elbow also hurt? Like, it's not just my back. It's my neck. It's my elbow. And I remember they kind of just passed me off to the pain management specialist. And he was like, do you lean on your elbow a lot at work? And I was like, I don't think like, and at that point already, I wasn't able to feel my fingers. Like I was having uh, some nerve issues and some different things going on. And they were just like giving me shots all over my body. And that moment when he said that to me, I was like, we're done here. Like I, I have to figure something out. And it was just like, you don't know where to go because the professionals are making you feel crazy. Yeah. And I think that's when I started really trying to take things into my own hands and trying to do things to remind me of who I was um, because I remember trying to explain the way I felt to like Justin, to my boyfriend. And I was like, I don't know. I just don't feel like myself. Like I look at myself in the mirror and I don't recognize myself. It's like I was detached from my body because I couldn't, I couldn't like grasp onto those feel good feelings that uh, like, like joy. Like I, I remember I splurged over $500 on tickets to see Taylor Swift for my sister's birthday one year. Wow. Cause I was just like, Oh my God. Okay. For sure. That's going to make me feel good. Yeah. Right. Like, and yeah, this is it. It's going to help me like totally online, cheer me up. Yeah. Like online shopping, like those things that yeah. you're just like, okay, that's going to make me feel good. And I, I was there and I was dancing to shake it off. And I was having like a perfect, amazing night yet. I still couldn't feel yeah. happy. And I just remember thinking like, is this ever going to get better? And wondering how to explain myself and that like, I just wanted to lock myself in my apartment and like not do anything at that point because nothing made me feel good anymore. And that in turn made me feel guilty because it's like, I'm not a fun person anymore to be around. Like, yeah. I mean, why would my boyfriend want to go out on a date with me if, if like, yeah. 
I'm, I don't feel fun or if I don't like the person I am or like making feel, feeling guilty about my family, like, like making them cook paleo every time it came over, like having a separate section of food at the Thanksgiving buffet, like, and that really just started wearing on me, especially with like my loved ones in my life. Yeah. It's, it's hard. It's hard to kind of explain what's going on. I think for me, I went through a lot of that when I, when I first was diagnosed with fibromyalgia, because I was kind of like learning, well, this is going to be forever. Right. And then it was the same, very similar as like, I felt guilty because I, I couldn't explain it to my friends and family. And I, I didn't want anyone to feel bad for me or like pity me, but then I wasn't able to go to things. So like I would have to leave early, Um, or I wouldn't be able to go to family events. I wouldn't be able to go to things with friends. And if I did, I would push through and I would be miserable the entire time inside, you know, like outwardly, I would either be like, you know, drinking or putting on a good front, right. To like, kind of be okay. But then I would suffer for days. I would be just like knocked out. And I felt guilty. Same as you. Like, I felt like, why would my friends want to hang out with me? Like, I am not fun to be around. I, you know, I'm just like this like down person. Like I felt guilty, which I know you can relate to besides your family. Cause they're kind of like stuck with you. Right. Mm-hmm. But like about your relationship is like, I kind of would look at Rob and I would be like, we're so young and you don't deserve to be with somebody who is sick. This is not what you signed up for. When you met me, I was like athletic. I was fun. We worked out together. We did all these things. And now I'm on the couch and I can't get up and I can't go to your family party and I can't go here and I can't go there. And I kind of like wanted to give him an out like, and would repeatedly be like, you don't have to deal with this. You can go. And it was because I hated myself so much. Like I was like, why would you want to stay with me? Like, I didn't want to be with myself. Like you said, like I wasn't myself anymore. I I don't, I was just a shell of a human being. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I got to that point too, where I was like, you didn't sign up for this. Like we're not married. Like I, I want you to be able to go out and drink alcohol with friends and like go out and do the things you want to do. And I think like there were so many times where I, I just tried to like, I, I kept saying like, God, like, you know, this would be easier if I didn't have somebody that like wanted to live their life with me. And it's like our, our lives were on pause because of me. And it just yeah. drove me to a really dark, hard place. Um, and I know like both of us kind of reached a bit of a breaking point where we really were like trying to like push our significant others away and that would make things easier somehow. Like, yeah. And probably not right. Like at the end of the day, probably not, but you get into this dark place and you're just like, you want to push everybody away and you just don't, you know, you start to think of your future, right? Like it's, it's the now of the present time that you're sort of like taking away this, this whole life from your partner. And then it's also, you know, Rob and I had just gotten engaged when I started to really get sick. Like I had already been dealing with chronic pain, but we had gotten engaged probably in like April. And I had like, that was like really when things started getting bad, when I got diagnosed with the fibromyalgia and I was in a really, really bad place. And I'm like thinking about our future together. And I'm like, what kind of mom am I going to be? Am I going to be able to have kids? Like what kind of life am I going to be able to give you? And like, I was just like, Rob, like 
you, you don't have to, to be in this. And, you know, when we talk about breaking points, you know, this is something that I had shared with you and I, I hadn't shared it with a lot of people, but like, I was in a really, really dark place. And I remember I was driving home one day and I was driving, I think I was driving home from my parents' house. I don't even really remember. And I was so sad. Like I couldn't get out of this dark place. Like I, it was just like a very strange time. And I was like, looking around as I'm driving and I'm thinking like, I'm going to just drive my car into ongoing traffic because I don't want to live anymore. Like if this is my life, I this is not how I want to live. And I, it would just be so much easier, like for Rob and for my parents and like just everything. If I just like, wasn't there and I wasn't a burden and they didn't have to take care of me or deal with this. And that was a breaking point for me. Cause even though I was in therapy at the time, I was really learning coping mechanisms, but I was, it was so dark. I couldn't, I couldn't see anymore. And I just didn't want to continue to go through this. And, you know, it was Rob really, who was like, to me, he was just like, I sat him down. We went to a diner nearby and I told him, and I just knew that I had to tell him because I was scared. Like the thoughts scared me. And I was like, why am I thinking like this? I have to tell someone because I know that there's like something taking over. And I told him and I, I was like crying when I told him and he was just like, Amanda, like, please don't give up. Like, this is the life I want. Like, I want a life with you. Like, I, th- I'm choosing to be with you and I need you to like not give up and I need you to keep fighting. And that was like, I would say like the turning point for me. Yeah. And I, I'm... I think the first thing I want to say, like, is if you do find yourself in that place, reaching out to somebody because yeah, that's something that I, we both were very lucky to have somebody that loved us in a relationship, um, to help us kind of pull ourselves out of that place because it was Justin that was like, this is what I want. This is the life I want with you, no matter what it looks like. And and just, you know, reach out to family, reach out to friends, like, it, yeah. it, and that can be the guiding light you need to just find a reason to keep going because yeah. there are so many people in life that, that love you, like whether you're sick or not. And like, they want to hear how you're doing and like, you can tell them and not feel guilty about it, not feel like you're lessening their life or making their life more depressing because they want to help you through it. And, and for me, that was a big turning point as well. Um, in the reason for me to keep digging yeah, and because it was like, okay, okay. Like Justin's not going anywhere. He wants to be in this with me and and same with Rob. And so that's when we both kind of started climbing out of that darkness and, and, trying to walk to the light, right? Like yeah. trying to find those answers, digging to the root cause, going to doctors, yeah, doing crazy restrictive diets and protocols and, and getting better slowly, but surely, yeah. but having a reason to keep going. And I think for me throughout the next couple of years of digging and fighting is when I started just being afraid of like yeah. everything that fear kind of starts setting in because there was a period of time where really all I could eat was like a handful of foods without right. dealing with symptoms or like missing one supplement and dealing with a day of symptoms or I, oh God, I was on my way to work one day 
And all of a sudden I had this like intense, crazy migraine that my whole vision went blurry and I was on the highway and I was just panicking, like, oh my God, like what is happening? And I had to drive off the, like to the side of the road just to like catch my breath and just feeling out of control that that fear sets in. And like, I think that that's a big part about recovering from this is like, yeah, that's going to happen. Like you're going to get to a point where everything is scary and you don't know what's going to affect you. Yeah. But, but I think going through that is what helped me learn like really what was affecting me and what wasn't. And I think that chapter has purpose because as you start to climb your way out of it and, and find your coping mechanisms, that's what kind of helps you learn how to stay healthy and like how to be grateful for your body that's been able to show you like what's wrong and what's not and like recover. Yeah. And, and I think that was an exciting time for both of us as we started learning what works for us and what doesn't. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think, you know, to your point of like, as you start to heal, that's when the fear comes in. And I think a part of that is also that when you start to kind of climb out of this darkness and you get into a good place, you're terrified of what potentially might put you back into the bad place. Yeah. And that's when everything starts getting scary. And I'll say, you know, I know that, you know, a few people have wrote into us about anxiety and depression, and I know that they want to know what helped us, right. Get through. And, you know, I think it's a few things. One is that Beth is going to come on in a, in a few and we're going to interview her and she's going to take us through some very, very cool coping mechanisms and things you can do right now. And then I'll say for me, I kept going to therapy. I went every single week. I, I literally did the work for several years to continue to go through therapy. And then, you know, I also just created my community, which I've, you know, talked about, you know, a couple episodes ago, right after that conversation with Rob is when I decided that I needed a community to support me. And I originally went on the mighty and, um, my experience was not good on the mighty. A lot of people were, it was just very intense for me. And I found that there needed to be some positivity. There needed to be some, how do you get better? And then I realized that I could create that. Mm -hmm. So once I created my page and started to connect with people who were going through the same thing as me, once I realized that my journey was to help other people and that I was going through this to all to help other people, my life was saved. Like that literally saved my life. Like I can say that wholeheartedly that like I, that was really what saved me. You know, it was Rob. And then it was also finding purpose. And my purpose was that I did not care that I was sick anymore because I knew that me being sick was to inspire and help other people get better. And everything in my life since that point has been about educating and helping people to get better. And I know that that's something for you too, is like, you know, going to the NTI, starting your business, like that's how you climb out of things is you start, you put your pain into purpose. And that's like a huge, huge thing that can just save your life. Yeah. I don't remember where I heard this quote, but when I heard it, I was like, oh my God, like that's spot on. And I think we are defined most by our tragedies and the things that we go through that make us who we are. And, and I'm, I'm a much stronger person um, than I ever was before all of this. And it has given me purpose, something that fulfills me more than anything else in my life ever has. And, and that 
is really, I think my driving force in all of this is, is knowing at the end of the day, I don't want anybody to go through the same stuff I went through and like just doing whatever it takes to avoid that besides community and finally finding your tribe. Um, something I do recommend to clients and something I do myself mm-hmm. is journaling every night. Yeah. That's it's a, a great simple, one. simple, simple thing, but like, it's so easy to get caught up in all of the negatives and all of the, the two steps back instead of the one step forward. And so writing down all the good things that you notice mm-hmm. throughout the day, whether it's even just like, I woke up today and went to work. Like, or I had a phone call with a friend and I told her what I was going through. Just all those things that you're doing to progress, to getting better and reminding yourself of those things, because yeah, it is easy. It's easy to get caught up in like Mm -hmm. all the stuff that is holding you back. Yeah. So trying to really take a moment and focus on those positive changes and and the things that are helping you get one step forward into the life and and into health, into the life you want to live. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that there's a lot of factors that, you know, I think trigger us or that, you know, kind of can hold us back. And, you know, so I think one of the things that had come in from our community when we sort of pulled everybody was the relationship between food and I would say also caffeine and the way that this affects our mental health. And so because, you know, we're both nutritionists, I think that it's important for us to sort of cover this connection because there are things that you can do. Like we both believe is that food is medicine. And I think that the more that we can sort of make these connections. So I would just love to know your opinion on, you know, gluten and, and dairy and how that affects people's mental health. Yeah. I think inflammation, like at the end of the day, like foods like that, that trigger, um, a stress, like fight or flight reaction in our body automatically puts us into that stress mode, that trauma cycle we talk about sometimes. Um, but like reducing inflammation in the body is just a way to help like calm your entire system. Um, but also things like high in sugar, processed sugar, alcohol, those things can also contribute to like blood sugar imbalance. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially caffeine too, because the, the way I know to, to deal with anxiety is really trying to help balance your blood sugar because right. it is that blood sugar roller coaster that keeps right. us on like the that up and down rest. Yeah. yeah. And so one easy, easy, like daily routine swap you can do is making sure you don't drink caffeine on an empty stomach. Um, a lot of people just drink coffee in the morning and like don't have breakfast with it. And that's an easy way to kickstart anxiety real early in the morning. So maybe making it bulletproof with like, a grass-fed butter or MCT oil with like collagen powder uh, is a good way to help like stabilize that blood sugar in the morning, but also like making sure you eat it with food, like, and, and space out your meals, make sure they're well-balanced every three to four hours. Don't let that blood sugar crash because it's an easy start to anxiety. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely drank coffee on an empty stomach this morning. Um, (laughs) Oh, sorry. I'm so bad. I'm a human. We're human, right? I was making a, um, coffee ice cream for my dad and I drank half of the coffee and put the other half in the fridge and I am so shaky. So I feel that. I know. I know. So naughty of me, but Hey, the lesson, there it is. (laughs) Listen, there's a lesson. Um, I think that the other thing that, you know, is really big is, you know, besides inflammation is when we talk about gluten and dairy, and I always like to talk about intolerances in general, because 
intolerances and food sensitivities are what cause inflammation within the gut, within the body. And serotonin, which is a neurotransmitter in our brain that is really kind of the happy neurotransmitter. And a lot of people that are depressed, they go on SSRIs, which is serotonin inhibitors, which allows your body to produce more serotonin. It's usually an imbalance of serotonin within the brain that is causing some sad feelings. And that's why we say chemical imbalance. And that's what the chemical is. It's serotonin. So because serotonin is majority um, created within the gut, when you eat foods that cause you to have leaky gut or to have inflammation or digestive issues, such as a gluten or a dairy, or just something that you are intolerant to, like, I like to say that because some people are not intolerant to gluten and it really is kind of the number one. And then dairy is the number two of these foods that people can remove to feel better. But I always say there's other things sometimes like you could literally be allergic to kiwis. Like you don't know. Those are the foods that cause inflammation. So they basically what, what happens is that they eliminate the body's ability to digest and process serotonin. So your body's not getting as much. And so you then may go to a doctor and say, I'm so depressed. I'm so blue. I can't get out of this funk. And really it's what you're eating that is potentially causing that chemical imbalance. And then when you go on the antidepressant, you feel better, of course, because you're getting balanced, but there are ways to work around that and eat foods that are higher, high in serotonin or high in tryptophan. And tryptophan is what actually helps our bodies create serotonin. So for example, I would say, um, Turkey is an example of tryptophan. Um, I know that that's not a plant-based food, but there are plenty of plant-based foods that are high in tryptophan as well. Um, I think nuts and seeds are a really good example of it as well. But anyway, when you eat tryptophan, it allows your body to create more serotonin. So looking at things like that, just from a holistic perspective can help you deal with mental illness and, and chemical imbalance and just give yourself a little bit extra, you know, push in that direction. Yeah. It's definitely another another tool in the toolbox and like making sure you're digesting so you can get and absorb all of those nutrients from mm-hmm. your food. And and if you're eating healthy, it's, it's a great, great starting point in trying to just feel better. And, and anxiety and depression is not, um, something that you can't address with diet. And, and a lot of people don't realize that. And I think that it's important to know that you have options when you're not feeling well and, and diet's a really good factor in that. Yeah. I think the one other thing that had come up from someone, and I know that we cover this actually a little bit with Beth. So I think after this, we could probably get into our interview, but one of the things that somebody asked is just how to deal with grief and depression and dealing with your feelings and emotions. And I think both of us agree that when you are going through something heartbreaking and something that's really just, you know, just wearing on your heart and you, I mean, you could feel it physically, right? Like that pain It's just to let yourself feel the emotions and cry, you know, get it out. Like Mel said, write If you want, you know, write it out, you know, sometimes I just will put on music and just like sing it out, like get it out, like let yourself feel the emotions. Yeah. You know, as, as women, especially we are taught to not be sensitive, right? Like, I mean, and boys too, like boys are boys, especially, I should say, not especially women, especially boys, right. Don't show your emotions. 
same thing with women, like growing up in kind of like the working woman age, right? Like I've been told several times, like, don't wear your heart on your sleeve. Don't show your emotions. Don't show your emotions in business. Don't show your emotions like at all. Like that is not strong. Like that is weak to show your emotions. And I just want to say, let's fucking blow that up because that's bullshit. Okay. We need to feel what we need to feel. That's how you get through grief. That's how you get through losing somebody that you love, whether it's a family member, a friend, a loved one, a pet, you just, yeah, you need to feel your emotions and just, yeah. It's what makes us human. It's what connects us all. We all have emotions high and low. And I think if we all were willing to embrace them and be honest about them, I think we would all get along better you know like so too we were honest right yeah yeah because we all are going through these things hard times and I think that that's something that I've realized as I've become more open about what I'm dealing with is that like everyone's dealing with this stuff all of us Mm -hmm. have dealt with anxiety and like let's just talk about it like yeah instead of projecting it onto other people because like that's that's something that I recently I would say like through my um, journey with therapy that I'm trying to learn is that what is, what is mine? What's my emotion and what belongs to other people and how to differentiate the two, because you sometimes get into an argument with somebody or something happens where somebody is, is rude to you or is mean to you. And you're like, you take it on. You're like, Oh my God, what did I do to make this person so upset? What did I, how did I create this situation? And we just love to, you know, beat ourselves up about it. And I, and I'm a huge, like I do that all the time. And so I'm trying to learn that like, this person might be going through something. Maybe they haven't learned how to process their emotions in the same way that I have with the work that I've done in therapy. And that's okay. But that I don't need to take that on. I can be like, this is what I'm responsible for, how Mm -hmm. I feel about it and how I react. Mm -hmm. And what they feel is what they feel. And that's like a huge thing. And it's hard AF. Like I am not there yet. (laughs) No, no, no. And I actually years ago went to an energy healer and that that's a whole other story, but something that she really taught me. And we talked about is like creating a bubble, an emotional bubble around you Mm -hmm. to try and like protect yourself from other people's energies because yeah, they can wear on you. Like if you're depressed at a, at a job, but you like what you do, it's probably the energy in your space. And sometimes I think it's important to really like find those good energies that, that are going to make you feel uplifted and not yeah. down. But yeah, I think I just, if we were all just like, man, you know, I'm anxious today. Like, I don't know. I'm feeling a little blue. Like, how are you? Like, oh, I'm great. Like, no, like, tell me how you are. (laughs) Right. Tell me how you really are. Tell me how you really feel about it. Cause yeah, I totally, I'm totally with you on that. And I think that this is just a really great segue for us to move into our interview with Beth. And so Beth Renov is a licensed uh, social worker. As I had mentioned before, she is an expert on chronic illness and dealing with mental health, coping with anxiety and depression. And she has Lyme and as a part of the chronic illness community. And it's so, so cool to have somebody be a part of this community that is also an expert on these things because she really gets it. She really understands how it feels to go through chronic illness and she helps other people to, to go through that. So we are just about to bring her on and I hope you guys really enjoy our talk with her because it 
is really special and I hope you learn a lot. Hey Beth, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? Good. We are so excited to have you here. We're so, so grateful to learn a little bit more about what you do. You are an absolute expert in depression, anxiety, and mental health, especially with those that have chronic illness, which a lot of our audience does. So we're just going to dive right in. And I would just love to know more about your background and, you know, a little bit more about you. Um, so I am a licensed clinical social worker and have my own practice in Jersey City. And it took a while to get to that place. Um, and part of it was through my own chronic illness. Um, and I have had stomach issues for as long as I can remember. Um, I had depression and anxiety, which kind of, I think helps me in my work with my clients to understand what they're going through, to know how it different coping skills have worked for me. And, you know, also with the chronic illness piece, really understanding what my clients are going through, because sometimes we're going through a parallel process where it's like, oh, I totally get what you're going through. I'm going totally. through it. You know? um, so, you know, I think ha I've worked in schools. I've worked with um, emotionally disturbed kids. I've worked with all different populations. So I think it's really given me a good, well-rounded background to work with all different types of people, all different types of problems, and really understand like a broad spe spectrum of things. So. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's so awesome that you have chronic illness and that you work with a lot of people, you know, a wide range of people, but especially people that have chronic illness because there are not a lot of outlets for them. And I feel that coping mechanisms is one of the pieces where people really struggle the most, you know, how are they going to deal with having their illness for the rest of their life? How are they going to deal with pain on a daily basis? So I do find that to be just so beneficial and that you're in the world. So I would just also love to know, you know, how did you become a therapist? Were you, were you always a therapist? You know, how did you kind of get to this place? No, I was not always a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us more about that. So I graduated like every person in this country, basically being like, whoa, I have to get like a real job now. Like, what does this look like? And, you know, college does not prepare you for that. I think that is one thing too, that I'm seeing with my clients is that especially from graduation till their late twenties, it's like, oh my God, how do I navigate this world? And that was something I deeply went through. I remember coming home, I was like 25 years old and I was just like miserable. I was working in advertising and marketing and it did not vibe well with me because I just didn't feel like I was benefiting anyone. I was just putting money in corporate people's pockets. And I just felt like I can be more useful, you know? And I came home and my mom had laying on my bed, um, uh, the quarter life crisis. Like the book. So <laughs> We've was, all been there. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, oh, like I need to like figure something out. And I was just getting more and more depressed being there. I probably had autoimmune stuff that I had no idea about. It came to the point where my company really loved me, but I would try out different jobs just because I hated sales and I was doing marketing, but there wasn't like so much for me to do because we were basically a middleman company between um, like Prevention, um, Rodale, Rodale, Marvel, FHM, that was a publication then online because they just got websites and didn't have sales teams. So we were kind of the sales team for everybody. And 
it just came that everybody was getting their own sales team. So I kind of, we were kind of being phased out and they were like, unless you want to do sales, like you really can't be here anymore. We love you. And I was like, okay, what do I do? And like, I am the person everybody comes to, to talk about things. Like, and when I mean everyone, I mean, literally everyone I'd be getting like frozen yogurt in the city when I lived there and I'd go up to order. And next thing I knew, I knew the man's like sister's stage four breast cancer. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, I just wanted like a yogurt, but like, I feel so bad for you. Like, how can I help you? You know? And I feel like my friends come to me for help, my family there. And it was just like, okay, like, something with counseling. And I really liked working with kids. I liked like the school environment. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go into, I want to be a school counselor. And someone was like, no, go into social work. You have so many more options. And that was probably the best advice I've ever gotten. And the process of going through social work, like this uh, MSW program was like, I think everybody should do it because it really opens your eyes and helps you like step out of your comfort zone. So I think that's one thing that helped me. I mean, I did diagnose myself with every single clinical (laughs) um, disorder that you can think of. Um, So that was part of it too. And it definitely caused anxiety. And that's when I think I first really experienced it. So that was like a learning experience for me then. Um, And then I was working in schools and it was great. It was, I was working with all different socioeconomic backgrounds, um, racial backgrounds. It was really great, but kids are really difficult to work with, especially when they're being forced to work with you. So um, that was really hard. And I had one where I was working as a relationship abuse prevention counselor. So I learned a lot about healthy relationships and what abuse looks like. And that was all great, but I felt like I need to talk to an adult. (laughs) So it led me to work in private practice in the city and getting, I started getting sick around then. I got mono at like 31, which I'm probably the oldest person in the world to have had mono. (laughs) The big EBV, you probably had it before and it re-emerged as we've talked about in the past. Yeah. I was in stage two then. So I never probably recovered from that. And that kind of set me off. And then while I was working at private practice in the city, I started getting really, really ill. And I just noticed like, I was so tired for years, but then the cognitive stuff came where I was literally forgetting my client's names, words. And I was like, something's really wrong with me because this has never happened. I've never been this tired. And I went to the doctor and finally forced someone to be like, you need to look at my symptoms. This is not normal. I'm in pain. I can't remember things. I feel like I'm getting dementia, you know? So finally my doctor's like, maybe you have Lyme disease. And I'm like, okay, like let's test for it. And sure enough, I had ehrlichiosis. I had Bartonella, Babesia, and of course Lyme didn't come up, but So I've been on that journey for a very long time. And because of all that, I got my clinical license. I'm like, you know what? I need my own practice because I need to be able to be flexible with my schedule, make it how I want, work with people I really want to work with and that really want to be there and work on themselves. So that's kind of how it evolved. Man, I wish I had you like six years ago because (laughs) I think for me, it was so tough to find a therapist that understood what I was going through. Like, and I, I spent so many hours on Google trying to find somebody that like one of their specialties was like chronic illness or something. Cause it's such a niche. I don't know. I think it's fascinating that you were dealing with illness, like throughout that time where you were helping other people and 
have you found that like you gravitate more towards people going through chronic illness now? Like, is that kind of a specialty of yours? And just Um, because you've gone through it and like, I guess, what are the coping mechanisms um, you've like learned from your time with clients? I don't know if I necessarily gravitate towards them. I think now that I know the signs, a lot of mental illness is caused by either autoimmune or any chronic illness. So when someone's telling me I'm really exhausted, I'm having pain, like I ask questions. I'm like, I think you should go to the doctor because I don't think this is just like some external circumstantial depression or anxiety. This is something going on in your body. And I really truly believe that a lot of it stems from that. So I don't know that like I put it out there, like if you have chronic illness, I feel like it just naturally comes up in our work together. So that's been really amazing to help people, you know, figure out what's going on with their health as well as their mental, physical health as well as their mental health. And some coping mechanisms, honestly, like the basis of everything is helping your clients to realize like you need to feel all your feelings. And we are told we're only allowed to feel three positive feelings, right? Like excitement, happiness, and maybe like being surprised, you know, like in a good way. And that is not, that's setting us up for disappointment and to not be able to function when something bad happens to us. So it's really being able to tolerate the discomfort of everything that comes up, especially with chronic illness. Like, oh my God, like, is my life going to be like this? What have I done in the past? And like really ruminating on what you could have done differently and how is my life going to be in the future? And that's really not helpful in helping you to heal. So it's really also using mindfulness and meditation to learn to be present in this moment and learn to tolerate your really uncomfortable feelings. Right. Ooh, yeah. Those uncomfortable totally. feelings. <laughs> and, and I would say, you know, something that is really interesting is that, you know, you mentioned that a lot of the people that sort of find that their root cause of their anxiety or their depression or their mental health issues is usually a chronic illness. And one of the the things that is underlying of chronic illness is usually someone who's been through um, some sort of trauma, whether it's an emotional trauma or a physical trauma in their life. So, you know, how do you find that connection between these people as you kind of dig deeper with them? Do you find that there is a lot of trauma in their past that they, that connects to them not feeling all that great? Yes. I think trauma is a huge piece of why people get sick, because I don't think people understand that when you experience trauma, part of your body, your body reacts. So your brain goes into safety mode. So it shuts down certain things. That's why you might not remember a specific trauma until years later when something's triggering it. Um, But it also affects your physical health. It affects your immune system because your body's in fight or flight constantly. So that does not produce a conducive body or environment for healthy living. And your body is just fighting every single day to keep like homeostasis, not to be healthy and work as it should. So it starts to affect your immune system, which starts to affect all your organs and breaking things down. It's a breeding ground for all these viruses and bacteria and parasites. So yeah, like it it is directly affecting you. And I don't think people understand the body mind connection and and how that is really really essential in someone either recovering or like healthily or staying where they're at but i think also even if someone hasn't been through trauma the trauma of being a person who has chronic illness 
can do the exact same thing and exacerbate it. So you might get Lyme or you might have a thyroid issue. And then all of a sudden the trauma of changing your life and having it turn upside down on its head is the exact same emotional trauma you go through and the body responds in the same way. Oh yeah. No, I, I kind of referenced this, um, course that I went through as like a chronic illness rehab. Like I felt like I had to kind of get myself out of that mindset, like Mm -hmm. cycle of the trauma and like, what, what do you use in your practice to kind of help people escape that trauma loop? Um, well, it's a lot of processing, right? So I think the expectation is it takes a, a long time sometimes, you know, like don't expect to have us to have a magic wand and be like you're cured you know and it's really being patient with yourself and the therapist being patient with the client to not push anything too much and I think again talking about all your feelings and processing that trauma and um, there are different things you can do I have a exercise I like to do called safe space where you picture it's actually an EMDR exercise and EMDR is actually can be good, can be bad. The jury's still out, but there are some really helpful exercises on um, to help you with like visualization, deep breathing, so that when you do go into maybe a triggering state or you're going to be really anxious, it helps calm you down. So it includes deep breathing, visualizing a place that you've either been to, want to go to, or just an imaginary place that has no negative connotations. And you picture yourself there and you include all the senses. What does it look like? What does it smell like? Is there a taste in your mouth? Who's with you? Can you touch something there? You know, what are you hearing? So we kind of incorporate all that and you do like deep breaths in and then you picture it. We conjure up the image. And then after whatever word comes to mind for you, that's, that's a positive word, like peaceful or tranquil. We use that. And that's almost like your trigger. word. Uh, so the first time you're going to do that and conjure up the image, we're going to come up with a word. The next two times you're going to say the word um, either out loud or in your mind and do the deep breathing, conjure up the image. And by the third time, you should feel a lot more relaxed. That's so powerful. I always go to the beach in LA when I do my safe space. (laughs) I'm always on Manhattan beach. So if you're looking for me, that's where I'll be in my brain. Yeah. I mean, beaches are very common because they're so relaxing and being by water, there's something called the blue mind. Being by water actually helps to like lift up depression because being near the water just has some effect on the mind that eases it. And also being in nature, um, there's this, uh, it's so interesting in Japan, they have this forest and they have people walk through it like barefoot. So you're grounding yourself. And and I think a lot of grounding techniques are really, really important. So there's one called um, the five, four, three, two, one. So you take deep breaths in, you point out five things in the room you can see, four things you can touch, three things you can hear, two things you can smell, and one thing you can taste. And it helps to bring you right back into like where you are. So it's like a mindfulness, but also like relaxing kind of exercise you can do really easily. That's awesome. To kind of just like reconnect yourself with your body. Yes. And, and with your surroundings, right? And um, I'm actually seeing this Reiki master energy healer and she's Ooh. awesome. One thing that um, really helps me is 
she does this grounding exercise where you like kind of like put your right hand on your left shoulder. I'm probably doing it wrong, but <laughs> like you put your hands on your shoulders and you're like giving yourself a hug because I think with chronic illness, we do not like appreciate all our body is doing for us. We think it's failing us, but it's working harder than ever. So starting this and like doing it, starting with like giving yourself a hug and appreciating what your body's doing is really important. And then you start to do like a massage and like knead and you go down your shoulders and you go down to your elbows and make sure you get all, all there and through your arms. And then you get to your hands and then you go to your hips and then you go down like your legs. You could put one knee over and go down. The idea is to have the energy go down. So it's grounding you because our energy likes to go up and out. And so we have none left. So we want to ground ourselves and have it go down. And after you can like put your hands on your heart and say like, I appreciate my body and all you're doing. So I think that has really helped me a lot recently. So I'd love to share that. That was a practice I had to do. Like when I first started really learning about like the mindfulness piece and like the positivity piece of pulling yourself out of that like dark place is that like appreciating your body and like telling it you love it. Cause that's, I feel like something we don't do in our lives. Like it's, it's so hard especially when dealing with symptoms is like feeling like your body's the enemy, like you're angry at it and you're at war literally. Yeah. And I think starting there, I sometimes think like this needs to be step number one, like just being like, I can heal. Like my body is capable of this. Like I love my body. I know we've been at war, but like we got to work together to get better. Right. Absolutely. And I think in that vein, it's also, I like try and set an intention every morning. And one of the things that I've felt is my emotions often rule my life. So I say to myself, I'm not going to let my, I'm going to try and not let my emotions rule my day. And I'm going to try the best to, to my ability. And I think saying that like three times to yourself or whatever your intention is helps to center you and it's almost like a check-in for you during the day. If you do feel like you're having an anxiety episode or a depressive episode to say, wait, I, I said this this morning, I have to hold myself accountable and I'm going to be gentle with myself, but I'm also able to get out of this. And this doesn't have to ruin the rest of my day. Yeah. I think it's so powerful because, you know, even with the grounding yourself, because we are, we feel with chronic illness that we are totally at war with our bodies, but we also feel that we're at war with our environments because if we're dealing with mold or you deal with Lyme because you, you know, were bit by a tick, you start to fear everything. And that trauma loop of just like that fight or flight, like you're just afraid of everything. So I feel that it's so important to not only love your body, but learn to love where you are and be like, it's okay. Like, I am safe here. I'm not being attacked. Cause you feel like you're being attacked all the time. Like you're in a minefield. Like when is something going to explode? When is the mold going to get me? When is, when am I going to eat something that's going to trigger me? So, you know, working on those things, like you said, to set your day that way, I feel like is, is such great advice for anyone that's dealing with, you know, that trauma loop right now. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, that's so funny. You said that this morning, I was like, I said to myself, I'm safe. I'm calm and I'm peaceful. And I like repeated it probably 20 times because yeah. I was very anxious, you know? And I, I think sleep is a problem with a lot of people with chronic illness. So you're never getting your full REM cycle and that really affects your health. So, you know, you wake up in these states, either depressed or anxious or manic, and you're like, oh, how do I get back to a place where I can function at least 
50% today, right? Somewhat normal. Right. So I think that's really, really helpful. And another one is that we feel like we have to carry our emotions everywhere with us. So I really like to do the container exercise. And that is picturing this container, whatever it looks like, it could be a trunk, it could be one of those plastic ones, but now I'm sure chronic illness people are like, I can't go near plastic. So yeah, it has to be glass. <laughs> glass, glass, right? So um, whatever that container looks like, you picture where you would store it in your house and you have a lock for it, whether it's one of those ones you had in high school with the dial or you have one with a key and you literally visualize this container. So you picture yourself, you take like a few deep breaths to begin, close your eyes and picture yourself walking to this container, taking it down, unlocking the container, opening it, and realizing that you have unlimited amount of space to store all the things you don't want to carry. So let's say you're feeling anxious, depressed, annoyed, frustrated. You picture all those things and you want to picture the shape of each thing and the amount of each thing. If it's heavy, if it's light, is it neat in a box or does it look like a boulder? You know, and you can either slam it in, you can gently place it in, but it has all the capacity to hold as much as you want and you can always go in and take it out if you want and you can always add more and then you picture yourself closing the container locking it back up putting it back in its place and walking away from it and then you take a few deep breaths again and open your eyes and it's really interesting what people feel after that's so cool it <laughs> is and like high school i'd probably forget the combination so <laughs> that'd be good i could just leave it all in there right exactly so you're not walking around feeling like you're carrying this load on you. It's like, okay, I'm taking some of it off me and I feel a little bit lighter. Yeah. I think one of the hardest things for me in recovery was just like learning to let go that like, you know, we try to control everything as much as we can to the point where we become so type A control freak that it's like, uh, yeah, like Amanda was saying, like fear, like the one thing we forget about, like we're going to, our life is going to spiral. And like, yeah. just that feeling of, of letting go, letting go, putting it in the box, like <laughs> yeah, that's out of our control. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think what we're really talking about is hypervigilance and that's a trauma response. Totally. So, you know, we're constantly on alert looking for some danger and to some degree that's normal. You know, it was a, an adaptation from when we were sitting in fields, picking berries and eating them. And we had to look out for the lion that was going to come meet us or like the bear, you know, but recently as we adapt, danger is not necessarily like a threat to your life. It's an emotional trigger. You know, it's, if you're sick, like what is going to cause me to have a flare up, you know? So we're, noticing all that danger for a reason but what happens when you go into fight or flight the blood is not going to the rational part of your brain which is like up here if you hold your hand and your fight or flight response is here so your blood's going to only here and it's never getting to here where rational thinking occurs so you're stuck in this place where you're constantly like oh my god i have to search for danger what do i do and it, it causes anxiety it causes panic and you know the best thing you can do is be gentle with yourself but there are times where you're going to go into that and that's okay. And learning to lower your hypervigilance to maybe just vigilance, you know, um, I think is a really tough thing and there's no one way to go about it. I think it's doing all these things, um, talking to a therapist and, um, going to a doctor that you feel vibes with you too, and making sure they pay attention to you, really listen to you. Do not, make you feel crazy because you're not. And I think that was the most important thing I learned is like, 
I'm not crazy. I'm actually very in tune with my body and being in tune with your body is the key to having good mental health. So I think that's really important and just honoring the process and not forcing yourself to get to a place where you want to be just letting it happen. And that's really, really hard is having patience. That's such good advice. Like I think mental health is just one of the vital tools that you need in the toolbox of recovery and adding that person to your team, you know, like the, the A team of getting you to where you need to be. And I'm, I'm so glad we got to have you on here. And I think, is there a way people can like reach out to you, um, for your business? Like, yeah. Um, so right now I, I'm not really taking on new clients just because of the health situation I'm in, but in a month that might change. So, but you can find me on psychology today, um, Instagram at Beth Renov LCSW, um, and send me a message and I'll be happy to, um, write back, even if you have like a question, but you know, I'm not going to go into a whole therapy session. (laughs) Um, but one thing I just also wanted to leave people with is finding the right therapist for you is really, really important ask for a 15 minute phone consultation to talk and make sure you vibe. Um, And if you have a weird feeling after, don't stick with them, shop around. It's like finding the right shoe. It has to be comfortable. It has to fit right because you're on a long journey with them. And if it's not, it's not gonna work for you. And really finding the right therapist is half the battle. So it's okay if the first or the second or third isn't right for you, keep going and, and really try and find someone that fits with you. That's so great. That's such great advice. And it's like dating, right? You know, you want to make sure you, you know, find the right one. Mm -hmm. And I just am so grateful and just thank you so much for coming on here today and just giving us so much advice. And I think anyone in our audience who is suffering with chronic illness could understand that maybe in a month you'll be better. You know, it's just, we know it's chaos. So we just appreciate you sharing your great advice with us and everyone. And hopefully we'll get to bring you back someday. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This was great. And if you have any more questions, you guys can reach out. Um, But thanks for having me. So to kind of lighten things up and leave you guys with a bit of a happy laughing note, we have to talk hot goss this week because we have been watching so much television. (laughs) So I really tried to like map out the highlights of what we really needed to discuss. And um, I think you have something you want to admit about latest addictions. Yes. So yeah, let's start there. This is a safe space. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Well, I just want to say because I have been sick, but even if I wasn't sick, I still would be binging this show. (laughs) I have been watching Love Island UK and I say UK because there are a few versions. There's also a US and an Australia, but the UK one apparently is best. I'm on season two, which is a large feat because there are 31 episodes in a season. Whoa. 31. Yeah. And I breezed through and they're hour episodes too. Oh my. It's a lot. Yeah. It is so good. It is like a mix of bachelor in paradise, temptation Island, uh, survivor. Like, I don't even know. So what it is just to kind of tell everyone, if you haven't watched it, first of all, definitely go watch. And I also had to put on my subtitles so that I could understand everything. Now I am so good at understanding all the accents and I'm also very impressionable. So I now speak in an 
accent to Rob all the time. <laughs> um, we now are, we are British. Like that's, that's it. Oh my like, God. That's, I am a British person. What um, do you say with an accent to him? Is it just, I, well, I say the curse words obviously. So like this word, cause I didn't know some of the words. So like slag is one. It's like a really bad one. It means like slut. slut. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. And just like anything, like I'll just be Slag. like, yeah. And I'll say, oi, all the time. I'm like, oi, all right, come on. We gotta, I'm like, stop being, don't mug me off. Don't, I feel pied. That's like a big one. So I feel pied, um, is like when you kind of like feel embarrassed, like a pie in the face, um, Ooh, and like okay. mugged off is like, you kind of screw somebody over. Like that's, that's what I've interpreted. Yeah. Um, I do have a, a friend, um, in Ireland, um, Emma, who I had to ask what slag was because <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> You're like best ask somebody who lives there, not, not look it up on Google. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so basically like they put a bunch of people on a, on an Island who you're supposed to couple up. So they started with coupling, um, men and women together and they basically choose the men choose who they want to, which girls they want to be with. So they'll be like, Oh, a guy will come in in the beginning and they will be like women step forward who is interested in this guy. And then he picks which one he wants to be with. And that's how they start out in a couple. And then they all sleep in this one room. This is the part that gives me the most anxiety as a chronic illness person. And also an only child is that they all sleep in one room. And I'm like, I keep saying to Rob that it, it freaks me out. And he's like, why? Like coming from like, you know, college and like rugby house. He's like, that's, you just sleep. I'm like, no, this is. I can't sleep around other people like this. This is crazy. So they have to sleep with the person they're coupled up with. So like stranger. Yes. Yes. And then they, it kind of proceeds, like people get voted off. They switch people, they bring people in, like other people leave. And it's just so fun. And I will say that I have been told that they're just like bachelor nation. There are couples who are married who have kids and so it is real and it is a phenomenon so we're both very late in the love island game i'm honestly shocked that yes. you had not watched it before and and i just haven't i i know i should like everyone mm. i love watches the show and and i will you know it's just like like you it's like you start and then the floodgates are open and you can't yeah. do anything else but watch love island so i think that that's what i'm worried about is like yeah it's a large it is a large undertaking i think that that's why i didn't start either was that i knew that i would have to watch all of it and then yeah. i'm also going to have to watch australia i'm going to have to watch like us and just like when i got involved with rupaul earlier um in covid is that I then like go so deep and I have to watch it and that's it. Like, so I am just like in, I live on Love Island now. Like our living room is Love Island. You know, we, yeah, it is a lot, you know, Stella's in there. Like we're all involved. So oh my God, Stella's on the beach. Like Yes. So I will say that, you know, we do have other shows to talk about, but I haven't really watched much else. Besides. Yeah. Luckily, luckily you watched Firefly Lane before Love Island started because both of us, it was pretty crazy the amount of text messages both you and I got before we watched Firefly Lane, mm -hmm. like from multiple friends that were like, are you watching it yet? And yeah. so both of us were like, okay, okay, watch it. And I really, really enjoyed it. But I, like for people that deal with some emotional trauma, yeah. like this show is triggering. Like yeah, there are truly. so many heavy topics that are covered so quickly 
And it, this is based on a book. So like for those people that have read the book, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, but whoa, the show was a lot of fun. And I know both of us were skeptical because neither of us were a big Katherine Heigl fans anymore. <laughs> yes. and Poor Katherine Heigl, just such I, a bad rep. <laughs> I know, like hopefully, you know, she's doing better and, and this show is the right fit for her and, and her character it in is. it. Her character in it, I think, is perfect for her. Um, yeah, she does a really good job with it. I She usually plays pretty cheesy characters. Like, she had kind of put herself, after Grey's Anatomy, was kind of in this hole of just, like, only doing rom-coms. You know, she did Ugly Truth. She did knocked up. 27 Dresses, Knocked Up. Um, I do love Knocked Up, though. And I <laughs> feel like, yeah, so good. Um, for men and women. Like, I feel like that's, like, a good one because um, yes. it's Rogan. Um, and so I know that she had, you know, we talked about, she had an intimacy coach on this one and I just think it just works for her. It is definitely heartfelt. There's a lot of emotion in it. A lot of triggers, like you said, it kind of spans over the life of these two best friends. Um, and so it kind of goes back to the seventies. Yeah. So they were like 14 at the beginning of when they met, um, in the seventies. And then it covers a period of time where they're in college and then a period of time where they're starting their careers in the eighties in their mm -hmm. mid twenties. And then it jumps forward to present day, which in the show is 2003 and they're in their forties mm -hmm. and it's just fun. It's, it's like yeah. all the different, it kind of reminds me of like, this is us where it covers lots of different timelines in mm -hmm. a story that really gets like a nice little ribbon tied up in it and it they make you wait so long for all the stories to kind of like tie together yeah. um especially with Kate and her husband Johnny because the whole time mm -hmm. you just like want to know like what's going on how did yeah. they end up together because there's such a love triangle and yeah there's a good cliffhanger and yeah. so I'm here for the show it was good good feels good vibes makes you want to hang out with your friends and um also like wear really amazing bright colored eyeshadow from the 80s because totally I love <laughs> yes and I love it and I am such a huge like 70s person I am so into it so I also just loved all the hippie vibes that were coming from her mom whose name is Cloud I'm so about that life. Yeah. Like I was loving that just the old furniture, the, oh my God, the vintage clothes. Oh, it's just so yummy. It was great. Definitely a good watch. We highly recommend. And then both of us got to watch Framing Britney this past <laughs> week, which yes. I, I kind of almost forgot that we both watch it because it's it's mm -hmm. only like an hour long, um, but everybody was talking about it and watching it. Yes. So felt like Can you tell to. people where to find it? Because I had such yes. a struggle and you laughed at me. <laughs> <laughs> no, it happened to me too. Yes. That's exactly why I was so confused because you get onto Hulu and I you search yeah. Framing Britney and it's not there. It doesn't come up. I yeah. missed it. Um, but you just search, it's under like a New York times, uh, series special. So mm -hmm. you just search like New York times or search framing Brittany. And it's an episode in the series hosted by New York times. So right. it's, it was a really, really interesting watch. And I like feel so bad for her and everything that yeah. she went through because I, I know we were like young when all that stuff was going down and I didn't really understand it all and now I'm like oh my god like just we've come so far in society I think from like that yeah. time of just like making her the slut of the situation with like Justin Timberlake and and like oh I was just like whoa I was blind yeah. to this same here. I never felt that way about her. Like I think, you know, for me, I really grew up 
in the Britney time and, and so did you and, and TRL and all of that. And, you know, I, she was, I think maybe the second concert I ever went to the first concert I ever went to was, um, juvenile. If anybody remembers back dad ass up, um, <laughs> at the house of blues in, um, South Carolina, that's another story for another time. But awesome. yes, the second, the real concert I went to was, was Britney Spears. Um, I remember my dad took me and it was a huge deal. And so I just feel like I really grew up with her, you know, and, and so I never felt like she was slutty. I mean, she really paved the way for so much women's sexuality, you know, like Madonna in a lot of ways, um, but like of our generation and yeah, I, I didn't really understand just like you, that there was stuff going on behind the scenes through all of this. I just remember when she lost her mind and shaved her head and all of that was just so shocking. Like, I don't think anybody expected her to go off the rails because she was really America's sweetheart in a lot of ways. And I think it painted a really good picture of celebrity life too. Cause like mm -hmm. nobody knows what's going on by, behind the scenes and they're just trying to like raise their kids and there's yeah. paparazzi that, that are drowning them at every every corner because they can make millions of dollars off of one picture they get of you doing something weird and so yeah it was just really yeah. revealing and shocking and a very good easy quick watch so I highly recommend that if you haven't seen it but I know the big drama of the week for you and I was the Riverdale time jump and here we are back again talking about Riverdale on this podcast but it has to be done it has to be done and I don't know if we'll talk about it again because I'm so angry and upset yeah I, we, I can't we even can take a, myself. a pause after this you know this has just been a transition period for us yeah. and the characters so you know let's just say it and then be done with it for a while <laughs> but spoiler alert ahead i will say yes yes spoiler alert i will say i you know we briefly chatted about this right before we started recording and you were like save your save it for the podcast so i'm here i'm ready to explode i for the first time ever with riverdale considered stopping watching the show after this week's episode. And I will do that. I will, I have no shame in my game. I will completely abandon a show. If I, something happens that I don't like, that I will abandon this. I know I've abandoned seasons before. Um, <laughs> let's hashtag Dawson's Creek college years. I will refuse to watch the college years. The, <laughs> I will abandon something. Um, so I feel I'm struggling with the time jump. I was really, really excited about it, but I'm struggling with it. I know that they're just kind of getting their feet wet. They're, they're kind of just trying to build out the characters, but there's a lot that I'm just not vibing with. And we can say it because yeah. we already warned the, our spoilers. Stop listening. If you don't want to yes. know what spoilers. Happening. Yes. But they are finally exploring the Archie and Betty relationship, which Amanda is I'm not okay not with happy. No, I'm not okay with it. There's no, it, in <laughs> any world, I don't care. Seven years in the future, seven years in the past, Betty and Jughead need to be together and they need to be like, I would like a, will they, won't they sort of tension between them and kind of like build in this adult way, like how they can kind of get back into their um, mystery, you know, hunting kind of way that the two of them work together. Cause that really is was such a large piece of the show was the two of them as like doing detective work. Yeah. And instead they're sort of like ripping Jughead apart. Like he has like debt collectors coming for him. The serpents hate him and it's just like bizarre. And then I kind of feel like they're starting to build this relationship with him and Pop Tate's granddaughter. And I'm just like, 
no. And then they have like some like super sexy scene of Betty and Archie in the shower together. And now like, I know next week they're going to be hooking up and I'm just like, no. Okay. So I'm here to defend the other side of things. Don't do it. Although I am all for Bughead, they are meant to be. They are endgame, as the show likes to say often, but they have to explore this Betty Archie storyline and just put it to bed because this is something that's Fine. been going on since ep one. Like Betty was like, I'm in love with him. And like reading all of her diaries last season about how yeah. she like fell in love with him when she was seven. And there's all this sexual tension they've had their entire lives that Bughead does not stand a future unless they get this shit out of right. the way but did they not accomplish that last season with like no. their kids I no, no, no. See, I don't agree it was like they- forbidden it was forbidden because they like couldn't be together because they were both in relationships and they were in yeah. high school so there was all this drama about it and but they realized there was still something there right yeah. that, like they didn't there was no closure they just were like shit this feels good to be with each other when we like can't explore it because we are both in relationships well then they need to explore it and get over it and end it because i'm not yeah it's like when okay gossip girl right when um oh my god when blair and dan dated it was weird and i stopped well no i watched it i probably watched it twice but the last rewatching, i just skipped over the relationship entirely because it was disgusting and this is how (laughs) i feel i will say okay i'm also going to say something really controversial here i don't I am not attracted to Archie like I know KJ Appa like a lot of people think he's like hot but because of Archie the way he's like just acted in the show like he literally makes my like vagine go in the other direction like (laughs) I like I like fold in on itself no (laughs) he's so hot he's so hot no I can happily say that <laughs> yeah oh my god I can't even and then like Cole Sprouse is sexy in a different way but like yes. wow all right well it's good to know, know this now and yes. I really believe this whole Barchi whatever you what are they what are they called like, I think Barchi 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 but I I think it's really only gonna last two episodes at most fine like, I, call I, me when it's done and I'll start watching I again I will <laughs> A few of the other time jump little things that I wrote down because I think they're so funny. Some of the kids are now calling the adults by their first names. Mm-hmm. I think that maybe they were like, okay, we can we can let Archie call the sheriff Tom, you know? Yeah. Like I noticed that and I was like, <laughs> like yeah, they're really like trying they're to now. show that they're adults and then they can call the parents by their first names. And then, oh my God, Polly's kids, Juniper and Dagwood now are like, what, eight years old or something? Yeah. And I saw them sitting at the table during yes. the kitchen scene. Bright Did red hair. Bright red. Bright like, red hair. Wig. Yes. It they are Jason. So... Yes. That is really crazy. Although I think because this season, the killer is going to be sort of like this um highway trucker which reminds me of oh my god what was that movie that was like candy cane did you ever see that no oh my god with paul walker joyride Joyride. okay joyride okay thank you joyride that's what it reminds me of is like this crazy trucker on um lily sobieski was in it and they it's like the trucker is like a killer anyway Uh so (laughs) It was a good movie back in the early 2000s. Um, And then the other thing that's really bizarre is that Cheryl is a hermit because she thinks that her family is cursed. And so she doesn't want to do anything because she's afraid that they're cursed. I feel that it's just 
when is she going to be back to being Cheryl, like bombshell? Like I just am not into her completely covering up her personality. Like that's just so not her. She's usually like a powerhouse biatch. I'm here for that. I think they're building up to a Cheryl comeback. Like I think, I think it'll get to the point where like she puts her red leather jacket back on and gets her bow and arrow and like yes we have like a comeback moment yes I, I have faith in this show I really do so I even if you okay stop watching I'm gonna continue watching because I think it took a while for even in, like season one for the story to kind of get yeah and I think that that's what's going on right now they're building an entirely new story and all the little like twists and turns are all gonna weave its way together and it's gonna make sense because that's what the show does so yeah. we just all need to stay tuned. Okay, fine. It. They usually do, I would say, have around 20-something episodes. So they are definitely one of the shows that will close up plot lines within a season and start a new one. So I am kind of interested to see where it goes. I will watch disdainfully yes. for now. Yes, good. And the last thing I wanted to tell you guys about is just a couple of things that I've watched that I highly recommend that Amanda has not watched. But the first one is a show called Ted Lasso on Apple TV with Jason Sudeikis. And if you like Schitt's Creek, this is right up your alley. It's a comedy, lighthearted, heartfelt, so funny. Like, And it's about this American football coach that gets hired to be uh like a european soccer coach basically as a joke um by this wife going through a divorce and she wants to like stick it to her ex-husband because Mm -hmm. the soccer league was all he cared about so she hires him to be the soccer coach to try and like make a total fool out of the league and but he comes in and like is actually amazing and and wonderful and like awesome you like root for him because he's an underdog highly recommend we binged it in about a day and a half such a good show And then I watched a movie called Love and Monsters with Dylan O'Brien, which was so fun. It kind of reminded me of like Back to the Future, like family fun, adventure, post-apocalyptic. And Dylan O'Brien is the lead and it's he and this dog trying to make it across like an apocalyptic land where like monsters are ruling. You love apocalyptic stuff, I feel like. I mean, yeah. you watch that other one. The Society <laughs> was yeah. That, that wasn't even, I mean, yeah, I guess like it's the mystery factor, right? Of like yeah. creating this new world that's like really fun. So I yeah. highly recommend that one. It was, a, I was like screaming. I had so much fun. And who can that's awesome. resist like a boy and his dog? Like yeah. that's the whole movie basically. And just a, a, if you want something original and a good time, I, I recommend that movie. But that's all we have for today, guys. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, subscribe and comment or review on Apple Podcasts if you haven't. And we look forward to talking to you guys in a couple of weeks. Stay healthy. Stay healthy.